0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Ban.
1: All right, everybody, welcome into another day here on Hockey Central 960. Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. Got a fun little show here on this Wednesday afternoon. Logan Gordon, host of Sportsnet today, is going to join us for the first half of the show. And then in the final segment of the hour, we're going to be joined by Keith Jones, former NHLer, TNT analyst, currently in the new president of hockey operations with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, just a programming note on that. We did pre-tate that interview with Keith on Friday we're going to run it on Tuesday, but we had some breaking news yesterday, obviously, with Craig Conroy being hired as the general manager, so we're going to roll that today. Yes, there was a comment in that recording of me talking about my sweet Dallas Stars, who are now down 3 nothing in the series. So when you hear that part, try not to judge me too hard. I, you know, I, I could edit that out to make myself look Smarter, but I won't. That's all right. I'll own that one. I was on the Stars Wagon for a while. It's not looking good in Dallas. Uh, Before we get to Keith Jones, let's bring in Logan Gordon. He joins me for the first segment of the show today. It's been a while. Logo, how are we doing?
2: I'm great, Haley. How are you?
1: Good. Good. Uh, Excited for... like I'm happy with the chat with Keith Jones. Um, After that conversation... I totally got it like I just understood what the Flyers were getting at and I understood why so many people were saying like yeah that's that makes sense I know there were maybe some fans who didn't love the fact that they weren't going external it's like what why did they hire you know a media guy even though Keith Jones did play in the NHL Uh, after having talked to him I was like yep I get it (laughs) Makes sense to me. So excited for that to play. Excited for people to hear it.
2: Yeah, it should be a good one. I know that uh, he's a really well spoken guy. You obviously have to be doing what he's doing in media, but I think, you know, more than that, it was right, a really good insight into why the Flyers felt he was the right choice, and I think it's gonna be an interesting time in Philly. They got some big decisions to make there.
1: Yeah, and they seem really optimistic about turning things around. We'll see. It's not gonna be it's not gonna be easy, but I don't think they're gonna be rushing that process. And of course, Keith Jones not really being hired to like run the hockey ops department from a personnel decision, but he's going to act as the kind of connective tissue between the front office and the media, the front office ownership. He'll come on and do those kind of interviews and, and do them well. So excited for that chat. Um But as I mentioned, I did ch- chat in that thing, but you know, Dallas Stars looking pretty good, uh, not looking good. Uh, just shows how quickly things turned and maybe that speaks to um me overlooking the vegas golden knights i mean obviously we've acknowledged how good that team is i said it was going to be a great series i thought it was going to be way closer than it's been but vegas takes a three nothing commanding lead in the series last night after a four nothing win um let's start with the jamie ben incident from last night so less than two minutes into the game jamie ben takes a shot at mark stone Then follows through while Stone is on the ice with a cross check to the neck. He said today, I wish I didn't fall that way. Uh, Okay. (laughs) He gets a five-minute major and a game misconduct. There is a hearing for Jamie Benn today. We'll await the news of that. We'll let you know if the the news comes or the suspension comes down during the show in the next hour. I'm going to assume it's one game since that's been what we've seen so far in the playoffs, unless your name is Michael Bunting, (laughs) but I'm not sure. Uh, you know, they're probably going to say, well, like, let's just suspend. Or maybe, I mean, I think the fact that he has a hearing means that there will likely be at least one su- at least one game. They typically don't have a hearing and then just find somebody. Um, but I doubt they're going to say, like, three-game suspension. I don't know. What do you think, Logo? Do you think it should be more than one?
2: I, I think in most cases you could make an argument that it, it could be a two- or three-game suspension, but... I think I'm right with you where I, I don't trust the department of player safety to, <laughs> to make the logical or rational choice. It, it seems like literally spinning the wheel and whatever is going to come up with that is what their decision is going to be. So yeah, I think given the playoffs and given, you know, we always understand that these games te- tend to mean more than they were in the regular season Uh, for a suspension. I think one game makes sense, but uh, I wouldn't put any ounce of of money on it. It's just too unpredictable to know what they're going to do.
1: There was a lot of talk as well about the fact that Jamie Ben did not speak to media last night. He's the captain of that team. They're down three nothing. He makes a really just frankly stupid play in the first two minutes of the game. By the way, they're already down one nothing. By the time that incident happens, so that's not what you want to see from your captain. Um, already down in a, what we should call a must win hockey game. So I think there were some people who didn't love the fact that Jamie Ben didn't take the accountability or face the music or however you want to phrase it. Uh, and then he did speak today and people aren't really happy with the quote again. He said the game happens fast. Emotions are high. Obviously I would have liked to not fall on him and use my stick as a landing point. I understand the frustration with that comment but also, what is Jamie Ben going to say to the media before he goes in and has a hearing where he's going to plead his case that he shouldn't have a long-term suspension, you know? Like, if he goes out and says, yeah, you're right, I messed up, like I intentionally went and, you know, tried to cross-check Mark Stone's head into oblivion, he's going to, it's not going to bode well for him in the hearing, you know? So I get it. I understand the frustration hearing that quote. You're like, okay, dude, you just fell on him like that. But at the same time, what's he gonna what's he gonna come out and say?
2: Uh, I'll, look, I'll admit I'm one of the people that that felt as though he owed his team and some others um, a response last night, given the fact that he totally. is a captain. Yeah. Um, uh, and to I guess the only thing I would say in in reply as to what he should say is I, I obviously don't think you have to come out and incriminate yourself anymore. <laughs> we have the video, um, but I do think some sort of a, you know attrition for your actions would be. That's, that's the one thing that sort of lacked in all of this for me was he's like, oh, I, I saw Mark get up, so I think he's okay. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have talked to him otherwise because it's playoffs. He just never at any point sounded pretty remorseful for a play that could have been extremely dangerous sure. uh, to Mark Stone. And I think that, in a sense, if I'm George Peros and I'm sitting there in the Department of Player Safety, they would have been like, well, could you have not have come out last night and just said, look, I'm not going to talk a lot about it. I think I have a hearing coming, but I, I hope Mark's okay. I regret... You know, an action that might have hurt somebody. I think that's all it needed to be uh, yep. from Jamie Ben. I would have liked to have seen some sort of attrition because it was a dangerous play. I know Mark didn't get seriously hurt, but that's the kind of play that somebody could get really badly hurt on. The next, not something that uh, you need to fall on if you're Jamie Ben.
1: Yep, uh, I'm. I'm with you. I think at the very least they could have come out and say, said, you know, I can't really say much. We're going to have a hearing. I'm glad he's all right. Uh, but he didn't and eh, it's not good. And I'm assuming that it's going to be one game suspension. I will be, yeah. but I'm also, I hate trying to guess with this kind of stuff because
2: <laughs> it's useless. It's a fool's,
1: it's a fool's errand. <laughs> we're all going to be wrong anyway. So no we'll just let you know. At all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll just let you know. when We hear some news. Yeah. Um, More on the game from last night though. Uh, as I mentioned, it was already one, nothing by the time that happened, uh, John, John Marcheseau opens a scoring one minute and 11 seconds into the game. Uh, and then the five minutes after the hit on Stone, the Golden Knights go up 3 nothing. Uh, so to recap, less than 10 minutes into what we should consider a must-win hockey game, the Stars lose their captain for the game, perhaps the rest of the series, if the series is only four games, and go down to a 3 nothing series Deficit. Uh, really embarrassing effort by the Dallas Stars. Um, Vegas was in control the whole game despite only getting 16 shots on goal. I know when you just look at the box score and you see that Dallas had more shots than Vegas, I don't think that tells the whole story. Vegas never once looked like they were not in control of the game. Uh, Dallas really struggled to get to the middle of the ice. Very few shots from the inner slot to really test. The goalie and, and at the other end, Jake Ottinger really struggled. Four goals on 16 shots. It's been a tale of two playoffs for Jake Ottinger. So, this stat was from Mike Kelly. Uh, first eight playoff games for Jake Ottinger, 921 save percentage. And around 0.75 goals saved above expected. So not upper echelon in terms of goals saved above expected. Like he wasn't goalieing other teams, but he was playing really well. And the save percentage would speak to that. Last eight playoff games, an 8.56 save percentage. And negative 11 goals Mm. saved above expected. So he is allowing 11 more goals than he should be, essentially. And last night was really tough. And Ottinger, everyone saw it last year in the first round of the playoffs. He was great. I mean, he was really good in game seven in the second round against Seattle. It's not great. Dallas, it's not great. My pick is not looking good. I don't think Ropey Hintz is going to win the Smythe.
2: It feels unlikely now. I'll give it that <laughs> much. Not it feels good about it. Yeah, it feels like a bit more of a long shot, a dark horse opportunity right now. But yeah, I think for Dallas last night it was such a combination, Haley, of you know, five minutes into the game and really your two maybe not your two best players, but two key players. Uh Jamie Ben's gone for the game and Jake Ottinger's clearly not on his game. You're sitting there and you're going, What what chance do we have right now? Right? Like We're already without Jamie Benn. Jake doesn't have it tonight. And I don't think anyone's blaming him, you know, for the reason that they're down in this series entirely, but it's clearly a part of it, right? You're sitting there going, we're already down two, and we haven't had any success against this team. It's already a bad start. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is Aiden Hill has outplayed Jake Ottinger. That's not a great thing if you're the Dallas Stars. That's probably the biggest area that you could say we have an advantage over the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you just laid out the stats. That's as, you know, turntable a situation as you could have imagined in any of this. And it's probably a big reason why a lot of people, myself included, Haley, haven't thought highly of the Golden Knights is because you can sit there and go, yeah, Eden Hill is like your fourth goaltender in the depth chart yeah, to go back to the start stringer. the season. Yeah. I can't see you outplaying Jake Ottinger. And not only are you outplaying him, you're crushing him. Like Your, your stats are unbelievably higher than his are. You factor that into the fact that they're just a a very good, deep, well-coached team in Vegas. It's just not a good recipe for Dallas right now.
1: And this brings us to the Vegas part of this equation. Are they the best team in the playoffs that we've been ignoring? Because I think we look at the Winnipeg Jets and go, oh, well, it's Winnipeg. They weren't great. Eh. Uh, Save for game one. Uh, They were the better team at 5-on-5 against Edmonton, ended that series earlier than I think people would have expected, and now they have Dallas on the brink of a sweep. I I don't think I was disrespecting the Golden Knights in favoring Dallas to come out of the West, but maybe I should have been. (laughs) Maybe I should have liked them better from the (laughs) (laughs) get-go. The surprise, Jack Eichel, good in the playoffs. Yeah. It's working. He's doing and he's gotten better through each series and he's been dominant against Dallas. Killed several plays on the back check last night too, so it's not just one dimensional success here we're talking about. He looks excellent.
2: Yeah, he looks exactly like the Jack Eichel that I think the Golden Knights were were planning on when they made that trade with Buffalo and went through all of the you know, the hoopla of the neck surgery and how this was going to work and everything. This is what you dreamed of uh, if you're Kelly McCrimmon and company in, um, in Vegas. And this is, you know, a culmination of a lot of things. I think they've, they've built this deep team Haley and understood that they were going to have to be key pieces that make it work. And, you know, those key pieces have all come, you know, from the exterior. And the three that I look at are Eichel that you mentioned stone and Petrangelo. Those are guys that have been, you know, captains or key pieces of other teams that Vegas has been able to bring in to, you know, be the top end of their talent that they couldn't get through an expansion draft and were never going to get through an expansion draft. They've used all the other resources to come up with them, and now uh, they've they've got their deep team throughout it, and they've got these key places or these key players for these key times. Whether it is shutting somebody down like we know Mark Stone can do, or being a number one defenseman like clearly. Alex Petrangelo can do it's yeah. it's a really great team and the thing that really turned my eye to this Vegas team was I know you've spoken to Ken Belke our pal from Sydney Vegas a few times as well mm-hmm. I talked to him last week before the series started and he said look I, I said to him I said hey how do you see this going he goes I'm not trying to be a homer Ken's always I always find a, a really good middle ground to talk about even though he talks sure. about Vegas he's really good about that <laughs> he said he said honestly he says I think this goes five and he says I think I'm being polite to Dallas and I'm like I was kind of like, wow, you really think it's going to be over in five? He's like, I just can't see Dallas breaking through what Vegas does here. And I think if they get to Ottinger, it's over. And since he said that, of course, I Texas, well, oh, you look really great right now. Uh, but he's been nailed it. It's just been a great series for Vegas. And you have to give them their due. They've been fantastic this entire playoff.
1: And Ken's right about how we should have maybe been looking at this because I think the signs were there that Ottinger something was up with Jake Ottinger in the second round against Seattle. His numbers weren't great. Uh, but when you look at game seven, it's like, okay, maybe he can use this as a jumping off point to be better in round three. And we did get a note in the text line. Uh, and cam was, was chatting with one of the texters. It's Matt in uh Cochran flames fans watching Ottinger in these playoffs. What the heck is this? And cam says the curse is finally worn off. <laughs> You know the so we should have known that something yeah. was up with Jake was going to be up with Jake Ottinger from the curse that the Flames fans put on him on the glass.
2: Last yeah, the, the, the hex season, old, the hex only lasts like that. a year, yeah. I think. So <laughs> yeah. we're past yeah. the one year and, mark of the hex. So
1: it actually took a little while to kick in. <laughs> yeah. It it was a year long thing, and now it's finally working.
2: Oh, sorry. and
1: that's what we're seeing with Jake oh, sorry, Ottinger. Dallas, here. Sorry, Dallas, <laughs> our Yeah. That's all right. Flames fans must really love the Vegas Golden Knights to be (laughs) putting the hex on a year in advance. Um, You know, looking at the Jack Eichel part of the conversation, the Barbashev-Eichel-Marcheseau combination has been excellent. That line is outscoring teams 9-2 to in all situations. Well, I guess 5-on-5 technically, because the line doesn't play uh, on the power play, even though they're on the power play units. So 5 on 5 they're outscoring teams 9 to 2 through the first 3 rounds. So for the first, you know, 15 games of the postseason for for Vegas, they're the best line left in the playoffs. They're scoring 4.6 goals per 60 and they are only on the ice for one goal against per 60. Uh, so the production, like the actual production, we're not talking about expected goals or shot share, or tilting the ice. The actual production value from that line is the best one left. They're actually the best line that have, has played at least 50 minutes together in the playoffs period so let's say there was a line that played a lot in the first round but now they're kicked out uh better than them too so that top line has been excellent and of course anytime you can have somebody like mark stone as your second line right winger things are looking pretty good and i like that you mentioned the martinez pedrangelo pairing um they've been they've been really good and they're matching up mostly against the robertson pavelski hints line and uh things are going well there jason Robertson that's that's been a bit of an issue I thought he was primed for uh you know maybe a breakout or some more production he in the has third to round be of playoffs. Dealing
2: with something he just doesn't yeah. look like he's confident shooting the puck right now
1: 46 goals in the regular season this year four goals in 16 playoff games
2: yeah there's there's no way that could, he had 313 shots on goal. During the regular season, Haley. And he looks so hesitant to shoot it right now.
1: 42 shots on goal. It it doesn't
2: add up. It doesn't add up. I really, I saw him last game really a couple of times where he just hesitated to take that shot. Uh, You got to wonder if it's something in his wrist or his arm. Because clearly, he's a confident guy. He should be. He scored 46 this year uh, and 109 points. It just looks like one of those things that's maybe caught up to him in round three.
1: He wasn't great in the playoffs last year though either. His five on five production yeah. against the Flames. So maybe I don't know. But I don't want to do the whole "is he ready for the moment" thing because <laughs> um, I think that gets overdone this time of year with particularly with goal scorers or young players. Um, and it was a small sample size last year—only seven games against Calgary in the first round. But yeah, something might be up with uh, Jason Robertson. Career playoffs, he only has five goals in twenty-three games. So not mm-hmm. great when he's you know. Your top scorer yeah. on the team. At least they got Joe Pavelski. Um, moving on from that conversation, so just to wrap up, Vegas is up 3 nothing in that series with a chance to sweep on Thursday. Um, other bit of news from today, the GM of the year finalists were announced. It's uh, Jim Nil, Bill Zito, Don Sweeney.
2: Uh. <laughs> you don't sound <laughs> impressed, Haley.
1: My biggest question is, and we can keep this one short because I want to get to, you know, a pretty meaty Flames chat with you, Logo. Sure. When is the right time to vote on the GM of the year? Is it around now in the third round of the playoffs so we can see which teams were constructed and built to last? Or is it before playoffs so the recency bias doesn't set in?
2: I've really come to think that it's just as the playoffs begin that this award needs to be voted on. That's that's my opinion on it because I I do think we get too far into it and recency bias plays too big of a factor in this because I, I think by most, if we're being realistic, only one team has a quote unquote successful year winning the Stanley Cup. But for a lot of teams, Haley, it is a process to make just the playoffs through eighty two games and to get their team to that point. And I think that. We can deem success on a different level um, at that point. I think we look more towards teams that are having exceptional years for the GM of the year award uh, based on when we voted now compared to had we just gone back and looked at the regular season and seen the teams that have made the playoffs as, as where this award was. I find them with you. Just It's just a little too convenient every year to continue to have the same sort of teams in for this award every single time.
1: Right. The Don Sweeney one's interesting because the deadline moves were good. You know, you bring in Dimitri Orlov, Garnet Hathaway, you know, the best team in the league gets better, but it didn't work.
2: <laughs> yeah. you flamed if out. If we
1: consider getting out of the first round working, um, not to mention the Mitchell Miller part of it all like that team was a disaster for a couple weeks their best team in the league and all we could talk about is what were they thinking why did they sign this guy so that's a little bit weird um there were some people kind of doubting Bill Zito being included in this like well all he did was acquire Matthew Kachuk like yeah <laughs> he saw that Matthew Kachuk was going to be on the market and went and said okay well I can't afford to re-sign both Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger and, you know, take guys like Anthony Duclair off LTIR or whatever. Their cap situation was tough, and what he did with a really rough cap situation is turn Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto into Matthew Kachuk. That's good GMing, in my professional opinion. So I going to end Bill Well, and I the award like is technically be
2: best excelled at his role during the regular season. Is it, is it not? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, and I guess... You know, by all account, the, the Panthers barely made it into the playoffs during the but regular season. They made it season. into the
1: playoffs because of Matthew Kachuk.
2: But did that happen in the regular season or did that happen in the previous <laughs> off season?
1: I think that counts. I,
2: it might. I think it should, but I just Why it's would too... offseason
1: moves not count? I don't <laughs> it know. just starts on September first. I like guess. what did you
2: <laughs> now from what now until now, what you have make? you done from me? Yes, that's yeah. it. That's all I want to yeah. know.
1: Yeah. Just Matthew Kachuk for GM of the year, says says our texter. Just give him him all the awards. He'll make everybody (laughs) really happy. Uh, Let's get to the Flames. So, the news yesterday, of course, Craig Conroy will be GM of the Calgary Flames. Dave Nonis, Senior VP of Hockey Operations. That was the big first item of the to do list checked off. Find the general manager. Still lots to come. Let's get into some of that list. Uh, We learned a lot about Craig Conroy's, um, you know, goals as GM, his vision for the team from his availability yesterday, uh, from his chat on this station with Pat Steinberg yesterday on Flames Talk. He's also done a couple other um, interviews on different podcasts. He was on Frank Saravalli's podcast specifically talking about, um, you know, wanting another top six edition, wanting another top six forward. So uh, among the takeaways from the last 24 hours of availabilities with Craig Conroy. We can, we know that they want and will name a captain for next season, that young players are going to get a shot to be on this roster and that Elias Lindholm is going to be a priority this summer, given he's one year away from UFA status. Let's dig into the Lindholm part of it all. Um, because obviously he is the priority. We heard Conroy say yesterday that that's going to be the first call. Um, what do you think a realistic Lindholm extension could look like, Logo?
2: For me, the, the numbers that I've, I've come around, I think something around 8 by 8 makes sense. Um, I think if you're Elias Lindholm, given the fact that you're 28 years old, turning 29 in the upcoming season, I think it's probably your last crack at, at an 8-year term. Um, and I, I know how much that means to players nowadays. So I, I do think that if you're talking long-term with Elias Lindholm right now, he's going to want to be in that eight-year mark. And if you look at Nazem Kadri and the fact that he got seven last year and is a couple years older than Lindholm, I think Lindholm has a pretty good case for that eight. And I think the uh, as far as the salary goes, um, $8 million, And that's a, a rough number, a give and take. I think you could probably make a, a case for it to go higher or slightly lower depending on the years. But I, I think something around that eight by eight number is kind of where I, I've landed to at least start this conversation off.
1: Right. I think that makes sense. So I did um, a bit of a contract comparable on cat friendly. It's one of my favorite tools and found that some of the top comparables by age, statistical profile from the last three years in this flat cap environment. So I didn't want to look at any contracts that were signed in 2013 or 2014 when it was a completely different um you know, time financially mm-hmm. in the league. Um, so right now, Elias, Lindholm, he's 28 years old. He's played 743 games with 513 points. Obviously the last three years would have more weight than his first three. That's typically how that kind of stuff works. um, So, when his deal kicks in, he'll be 29 with more games played, more points, et cetera. But the comps here do kind of check out with what you're saying, and it checks out with Elliot Friedman's um, note in 32 Thoughts. So, he brought up Bo Horvat's 8 times 8.5. Both players, by the way, are represented by Newport Sports. Um, So, Bo Horvat did come up in that comparable. Sean Couturier did as well eight years at 7.75 million that was signed when he was 29 years old in 2021 Mika Zibanejad eight times 8.5 Dylan Larkin eight times 8.7 so Larkin when the Bo Horvat deal was signed a lot of people said well that's probably going to set set things up for Dylan Larkin's new deal Larkin's younger he's only 26 he's the captain in Detroit Um, so a bit more leverage maybe than Lindholm would have here. And he was also, you know, closer to unrestricted free agency. But basically, when you look at the comparables based on age and the statistical profile, a lot of these guys are signing for around 9 to 10.5% of the cap. So, yeah, that looks like around 8 times 8, 8 times 85 especially if we think that Lindholm has a bit more leverage in this situation. If the cap goes up more than 1 million, things probably get a little bit easier. And that means, I mean... More than one million between 2023-24 and 2024-25 when this deal would kick in, because uh, the Flames' cap situation's a little bit spooky. It's not terrible, but it's not great. They have a lot of big money deals kicking in, <laughs> so fitting in another eight and a half to nine million dollar player, it's not great.
2: No, it's a. It's but a, you don't
1: want him to walk either.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing that Conroy pointed out yesterday was those seven UFAs that Lindholm is part of heading into next next yeah. season. You know, are going to be priorities because you have to know what's going on with those guys, especially Lindholm, because to me, Haley, he's the one that's you know pretty irreplaceable in the lineup. With all due respect to to all the other guys and everything they bring, they are obviously important too, but. If you lose Lindholm, you don't have another one in the organization. And I don't see another. They're so rare to have those hockey trades that, you know, works for both teams, sort of thing. Like, do I see another Kachuk for Huberto and Uyghur type thing coming for the Calgary Flames uh, with Elias Lindholm? I I really don't know if that's feasible to ask, you know, Craig Conroy to pull something like that out of his hat uh, immediately as becoming this team's GM as well. There's just no real number one center replacement for Elias Lindholm and I think that's going to determine a lot about what this team does going forward is is Elias Lindholm perhaps more open to the conversation in Calgary now that it's Craig Conroy and head coach x compared to true and Sutter?
1: yeah and this year is going to be a little bit tight so one of the other pieces that Conroy talked about as I mentioned uh, on a podcast with Frank Saravalli, talked about you know they talked about this one. Broad True Living was still the general manager, like this idea of wanting another top six forward. And that's going to be really tough. I think, you know, is that going to be via trade? Are you moving a body and some money out to bring in somebody to upgrade in that position? Are we talking about an internal candidate, Jacob Peltier, coming in and taking a top six role? Um, because I don't know how you're going to find that via free agency. The free agent market this summer is not great. And a lot of those players are going to get overpaid way over their value. I mean, they typically do get overpaid in free agency, but because the market is just so (laughs) mediocre, it's going to be even worse this summer, I would expect. And, The Flames don't have a lot of money. I did a little (laughs) GM tool here. You put Oliver Shillington uh, back on D, move Dennis Gilbert back down to the minors. You put Jacob Peltier, Connor Zeri, Matt Coronado, let's say Adam Razichka in the forward group. Let's fill out a 20-player roster with a lot of young players on it, and the Flames have $285,000 in cap space.
2: (laughs) Swimming in cap room.
1: Yeah. So where that uh, top six forward is going to come from, it's got it's probably going to be an internal candidate. It's probably got to be Jacob Peltier.
0: Yeah, that that's spot.
1: or someone's got to get out the door.
2: Yeah, the only other place I see that coming from is, is perhaps on D, where they've got you know a couple of guys. You know, can you replace Nikita Zadorov with a a Troy Stetcher um, at a lesser dollar? If you move someone like Zadorov out, who's at three point seven five, that's that, to me, is the only other, you know, and I'm, I'm sure people will bring up the name Noah Hannafin because he is uh, a UFA after next season as well. Is mm-hmm. that an option that you want to move yeah. out as well? Because, look, and I think this is going to be something that's going to be brought up is McKenzie Wiegers looked pretty damn good for Canada back on the right side. And yeah. is there going to be uh, an inkling from the next head coach to say, look, we got to find a way to get McKenzie on the right side? That's clearly where he's at his best. You've got two other good right defensemen in in, in Anderson and Tanev right now. Um, the decor, is, and with Shillington coming back, like you mentioned, kind of feels like the area where they've got maybe an extra body or two, but we said that last year, and how quickly did that uh, turn into an area of need?
1: Yeah, and uh, also to factor in with the Lindholm conversation, he was probably lukewarm at best when talking about his future in Calgary, talking about an extension at the end of the season. Um, So there is that question of will he come around? You would think that he would given the changes, um, but we don't know. Uh, So there's a lot of questions, seven unrestricted free agents, lots to do for the Calgary Flames, and we can continue to dig into that on the program, on the station, as the summer goes on. We didn't even get into the captaincy part uh, or the coaching search, but ticked off some top six forwards in Elias Lindholm we're kind of out of time. we got a head to break, Logo. Thanks for thanks for doing this today.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. We're going to head to quick break. As I mentioned, when we come back, we've got our chat with Keith Jones, the new president of hockey operations with the Philadelphia Flyers. That's coming up next on Hockey Central 960 here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan
1: welcome back everybody to Hockey Central 960. We're pleased to be joined now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline by former NHLer Keith Jones. You can catch him right now on the NHL on TNT and soon with the Philadelphia Flyers as the team's new president of hockey operations. The news was announced uh, last week. Keith, thank you so much for doing this in the middle of such a busy schedule for you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, It's been a crazy time. There's no doubt about that, but Really a fun time and an exciting time in my life personally, but also in the National Hockey League as the playoffs have just been incredibly entertaining and coming off an entertaining game last night that finally finished.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what have the last few days, the last week been like for you? Because you're working with TNT still for the playoffs, which is great. You get the opportunity to do the Eastern Conference Final and then the Cup Final, I believe. Uh, But you're also getting ready for for a new job with the Flyers moving as well in there. There's lots going on for Keith Jones. What's the schedule looking like?
0: Yeah, you know, every day I wake up and kind of ha- have to make sure I check my calendar of what's happening today. It's It's been really hectic. It's, it's testing my organizational skills uh, early. <laughs> I, I really have to kind of manage quite a bit right now, including, you know, family life as well. We had just moved to Florida, so.
2: Oh, about goodness. a year and a
0: half ago, which was uh, kind of an emotional move, but our daughter's an equestrian and my wife wanted to be close by her. So oh, cool. we sold our farm in New Jersey and and now we're moving back to New Jersey. So uh, <laughs> that part has been kind of interesting, but my family has been obviously tremendously supportive in this whole thing. Um, from the Flyers' perspective, just, you know, doing a, multi, a, lot, of, a lot of media, no, no mm-hmm. question about that, just uh, kind of spreading the word of where we're headed um and then the long process over the last couple of months of going through the interview process and you know trying to convince them that I was the right guy for the job and you know when that all came to fruition that was kind of crazy and wild at the same time because i had not you know let many of my close friends know what was happening so I had to make a lot of phone calls and then at the same time get ready to do you know the conference finals which in my mind is, you know, one of the most important things to really make sure I do a good job for our fans and for the players that have and the organizations that have you know done so well to get to this point and ultimately have a chance to win the Stanley Cups.
1: And how is that transition going to work for you, Keith? Start maybe it's a little bit inside baseball, but because you're working with uh, TNT, you're in the Eastern Conference Final, as you mentioned, but I mean, there's going to be a draft coming up in, in quick succession. I mean, the Flyers have a seventh overall pick. Are you kind of going from working a game in Carolina to Zoom calls with Danny Briere about who you guys are going to go with in the top 10?
0: Yeah, there is a lot of that. And, you know, thankfully, Danny's been there and kind of been in the interior of what's been happening uh, with our scouts. And that's been a big part of what he was doing as a, an assistant general manager. So they have a real good feel of where, you know, they want to go with the pick. And it's obviously a very important pick for us. We, we have to build this team through the draft. Uh, we've got to kind of get some room in order to do some things down the road where we can start attracting players back to Philadelphia again via free agency, but we're not in a position to do that right now. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversations in that regard. Also with John Tortorella, who's very involved with us. Uh, We're going to count on, you know, his experience, his coaching style and his personality to really, um, you know, come together in agreement on exactly where we want to head and we have a pretty good idea where that is but we're gonna you know pound out a few more things in conversation and continue to have those as we get ready to you know take the flyers into a new uh, a new era were you
1: uh, hoping to make a move into the front office keith or was this a specific role that you were interested in with this specific organization you know that being the philadelphia flyers
0: Yeah, this is the only place I would have attempted to do this. Um, You know, I've been in Philadelphia since I retired as a player and have done, you know, a lot of different things throughout the media, but have always been very um, accepted by the fan base. And those fans have really enabled me to have a very nice post-playing career. Uh, We kind of have a very, I would say, close relationship and the fact that i've had many conversations with the fans throughout the years whether it was in morning radio in philly for the last 21 years or Mm -hmm. covering the flyers for the last 23 uh, it's been really awesome and their support has meant a ton to me so has the support of the flyers Um, so i think it was a great opportunity for me to you know give back but at the same time make sure i keep our fans in focus and that they're involved in this journey as we try to get the Flyers back on track.
1: So one of the other moves that was announced um, last week was that Daniel Briere was getting interim tag lifted. He is officially, you know, the full-time general manager of the Flyers. I know it's still early into this process of working together in this capacity in the front office, but I've heard so much about the work that Briere has done to get to this point where he is the general manager, whether it was the program that he was working it with um, whether it was the um you know working in the minors i'm curious from what you've seen what about danny briere makes him the guy for this job
0: yeah one one of the things that really stood out to me was when he was an unrestricted free agent he elected to come to philadelphia when you looked at danny and the way he played the game he didn't necessarily fit the mold of what a flyer was back in those days he was a smaller player obviously an extremely talented player but for him to decide that Philadelphia was the place for him to be and come in and make my job a lot easier at that time. Cause I was in the, <laughs> the broadcast booth covering the team that needed a new jolt and needed nice. a different type of player. Um, he came in and provided all of that and was even better when the playoffs rolled around. And that was something that I think I, I had a great appreciation for. The second thing was he stayed, you know, it's very difficult to get players in today's game to stay. Uh, they make a lot of money. He made a lot of money. He didn't have to stay. He could have chosen to go anywhere in the world and had a very happy and enjoyable life, but he elected to, you know, continue to try to further his uh, hockey career in a different way. And that was being in management. And I think he's excelled in that regard as far as climbing up different levels, um, doing it in, you know, a classy way where he wasn't trying to take other people's jobs. He was just doing the jobs that he was asked to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate people that are like that. Um, I like the way he goes about his business. And I really like his keen sense of what makes a hockey team competitive and a team that I think can compete for a Stanley Cup. And that's kind of the Things that really stood out to me about Danny as I've known him over the years as well and interacted with him quite a bit over the years, talking hockey and, and talking life.
1: And you guys are going to have a bit of an interesting kind of tandem in the the front office or in the hockey ops, because John Tortorella is going to play a role in in some of those player personnel decisions. You'll have the three of you working in tandem. I think it's, it's, it's unique for a coach to have a seat at the table uh, in personnel conversations. It's not unprecedented, but it's pretty unique. How do you think that's going to work with the three of you guys working together?
0: Yeah, I'm excited about that. I, I think, you know, everyone's looking for unique ways to try to make their team better. And this is one that has not been tried very often. You can be sure that there's a lot of established National Hockey League coaches that have been extremely successful that have been involved in a lot of conversations with management. Mm-hmm. It's happened before, but this one is a little bit different. John was in place uh, prior to both Danny and I being in our positions, uh, but he has earned that. And what he's done already in the year that he was in Philadelphia and starting to build that foundation that we so you know dearly need uh, has been really impressive two years ago i'm not sure i would have considered this job as much as i did when i was asked about it this year uh before torts's arrival this team was in disarray um it did not compete the way that you would expect a national hockey league team to compete that changed last year still had a lot of losses but not in the same way that they were losing two years ago so i have a lot of faith And towards, I've known him a long time. We've been personal friends since we worked together back in the day at TSN, believe it or not, years ago in (laughs) 2014. And um, I got to know him as a person, not just as a coach or a a TV analyst. I I really, really like the person.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting because at times last season down the stretch, he was not on the bench. He let his assistants run the bench and then he went to sit in the press box or in the suite, probably with Danny Briere to kind of watch the games with him, get on the same page, talk about the future of the team and in the player personnel and things that they could do together with that group. It seems like the partnerships kind of already started there and his wheels are already kind of turning in that sense, right? Because of the steps that they kind of made together last season. So that's definitely a reason to be optimistic about things.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And Danny's known John for a long time as well. He actually played in Arizona when Torts was an assistant coach with one of my former head coaches and Jim Schoenfeld. Uh, and so those guys, you know, have known one another for a long time. Uh, Torts watched Danny's career go from being a player that was put on waivers to being a star in the National Hockey League and a real primetime performer. So uh, there is some ties to all three of us as far as our relationship throughout our careers in the game. And I, I do think that's going to serve us well. We have great respect for one another. And I think that's something that we want throughout our entire organization as we, you know, continue to try to find solutions to make our team relevant again in a city that's got three very good sports teams that have kind of moved ahead of us as far as the interest level is concerned. Uh, so we know we've got our work cut out for us, but, uh, we've seen it before when playoff hockey has mattered in Philadelphia and we want to do everything we can to, to make it matter again.
1: How is John Tortorella, the coach different from John Tortorella, the TV analyst, or is he just the same? Those are stop? the same.
0: <laughs> Those are the same. Cause he still is going to, you know, make shocking comments that might throw you back a little bit. He did that in television and he's always going to do that as a coach. But the one thing that's not uh, the same is just how bright he is. He's a really intelligent coach, uh, very intelligent analyst knows the game inside and out has had vast experience in all different situations, but he also knows how to present accountability to players. And I think that's something that, Players, when they reflect on their career and the time that they've spent with John Tortorella, have a great respect for what he has helped them in becoming not just very good players, but very good people. Uh, Jim Schoenfeld was the same way when he coached me. They have a lot of similarities. I had many battles with Jim Schoenfeld, did not like him at times, uh, but would be the first guy to walk up and give him a hug if I saw him today. He made me a better person and a better player. And I think that's what. John Tortorella does to the young men that are going to wear the orange and black.
1: So you've already spoken about John and the task that's at hand. Um, Is there anything specific that makes you optimistic about the flyers ability to turn things around?
0: Yeah. A lot of the bright spots that we saw last season and some of the younger players uh, really starting to make strides. There was a time when players in our organization and I saw them all would come up and flatline. Uh, They would show potential, and then they would not advance the way that you would have projected them to move along. Um, We had a bunch of guys that all looked the same, played the same way, and and just did not do enough to make themselves viable uh, National Hockey League players on a day-to-day basis. Uh, That's got to change. So our development needs to get better. Uh, For whatever reason, that job was not getting done. So, you know, we have a team that's got a lot of resources. Uh, We have the ability, uh, even in a salary cap world, to add pieces in different places that can help us get to where we want to go. And we're going to use everything that's available to us, which is going to take time. It's going to take a lot of uh, patience from our fans, but we have a plan and I think we know what it is that we're looking for. And now we just got to go about and execute and find exactly what it is that we think is going to make that difference.
1: I mean, you played three years in, in Philly and you worked there for years. You've done morning radio there for years. Uh, as you mentioned, you, you are familiar with that marketplace. Uh, I'm curious as somebody, I mean, I live in Canada. I, I apologize. I did grow up a Penguins fan. Uh, so I'm curious <laughs> from someone who's more of an expert, what makes Philadelphia special in, in different hockey markets?
0: It is a unique place, to say the least. <laughs> uh, they love a certain style of play, which isn't necessarily conducive to winning Stanley Cups anymore. And we recognize that. <laughs> but there is a there's a real accountability that the fans in this city hold, not just their players to, but their managers, their general managers, their football coaches, their you know basketball hockey coaches as well, and their baseball managers. Uh, You have to present yourself to the fans. You can't hide. Uh, You have to address them. You have to look at your media as an extension of your fan base, not as the enemy, but a way for you to communicate your message and how you're going to get things uh, headed in a different direction, one that's going to keep them happy. They are the people that are paying our bills. They are the people that we want to make sure we listen to, and we, we want to make sure that they know we hear them and that we have an answer for them. So it's challenging at times. Don't question about it here, but they are tough and we want to make sure that uh, we build them a team that makes them proud.
1: I guess the last question for you, Keith, before we let you go is you know, this is going to be a new era for the organization with yourself and Danny Breer at the top, John Tortorella, excuse me, you know, being in that tandem with you guys. Um, How do you all hope to define this next era of the Philadelphia Flyers?
0: Yeah, I I think commitment to excellence is what we're looking for. And we're going to, you know, without question, work extremely hard to get that done. I think all three of us are People that have shown throughout our careers, both as players, coaches, uh, management, media people, that we're going to put the work in. And we're going to make sure that we turn over every stone to find something that helps us get better. And we're going to use our instincts. We've been around the game a long time. Uh, We know what it takes. I've watched, you know, the last 23 Stanley Cup finals up close. (laughs) I see what's inside those players that are winning Stanley Cups and recognize that it takes everyone, not just everyone on the ice, but everyone in the organization. So we want to show, you know, the people that are working for us, not necessarily how much we know, but how much we care. And once we figure that out, then I think we're going to be on our way. You
1: know what? because you're an expert on the last 23 and you've been doing the analysis part for such a long time, I've got to throw one out there for you, Keith. I feel like this final four, there was some talk people, not super happy. It's the Sun Belt final four. There's no Canadian teams left, but I feel like you could pick any one of these four teams and say, and build a case and convince yourself that they're going to win the Stanley cup. Like it's wide open. And I think that makes it really fun.
0: That that is a hundred percent accurate. I mean, that you could flip a coin on a nightly basis, on a shift-by-shift basis, and in many cases, all four teams mirror themselves. So there's a formula there. I mean, if you look at the back end on all four teams, pretty impressive, no <laughs> holes back there, and four teams that are extremely well-coached and committed to trying to do things right. So they all deserve to be here. One of them's going to win. I'm always amazed when that Stanley cup is raised over, you know, a team's head, how they did it and how much it took to get there and get it done. So somebody's going to feel pretty darn good when this thing's all said and done, but I couldn't tell you who it's going to be. It's that close.
1: Yeah. I'm not a betting person. So I'm good. I've I've gone all in on the Dallas stars, people who listen to the station who listen to the podcast, they know I'm on the Dallas stars bandwagon, but you could convince me of Vegas or Carolina, Florida. You know, I'm, I'll I'll hop around. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Keith, thank you so Uh, much for doing this.
0: Thank you as well. Great to catch up. Thank you.
1: A great stuff from Keith Jones, the incoming president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, also still working on the NHL on TNT. So a little bit of insight into the final four there at the end with Keith Jones, but lots of great stuff about what comes next for the Flyers organization with himself daniel briere and john Tortorella at the top of that organization and that conversation with keith jones is brought to you by atlas pizza and sports bar using the same secret recipe since 1975 you can dine in at 6060 memorial drive northeast takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344 all right thanks everybody for listening we have run overtime here today on hockey central one game on tap tonight carolina versus florida game four in sunrise panthers with a chance to sweep and punch their ticket to the stanley cup final we'll be back to break that game down and more tomorrow on hockey central 960 on sports at 960 the fan